Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. Hey guys, we all know how hard it is to onboard new software, especially CRM software. You know what I'm talking about. But you haven't checked out Element 451. You can get up and running and see return on your investment fast. Implementation isn't just another line item to worry about. It's included in Element's straightforward pricing. The onboarding is streamlined because Element knows higher ed and automates things other companies do manually, all without sacrificing customer service. And you'll be able to send out those acceptance letters within weeks. You don't have to outsource or wait on other departments for campaign content. Element comes with pre-written, professionally designed emails. It's an all-in-one, modular-based CRM system for your admissions department. If you want to increase yield, increase your enrollments, you got to check out Element 451 at element451.com. That's element451.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of EdUp EdTech. I'm your host, Holly Owens, and today I'm very excited to have with me CEO and founder of APL Next Ed, Kathy Gibson. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the episode. Hi, Holly. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful, and I'm really excited to talk to you and chat about APL. And we were just having a conversation about the weather. So you are <laughs> located where? I'm in Northwest Indiana, about 50 miles outside of Chicago in a town called Valparaiso, Indiana. Oh, nice. And yep. I've heard of Valparaiso because of March Madness and basketball. The shot. The shot. Yes. Yep. So Bryce is actually, and his wife are actually dear friends. So he just uh, won his first uh conference championship and got his first uh, invitation to the NCAA tournament with his new school, Grand Canyon University. That's amazing. And I was watching the selection show. So I saw that. That's, that's, that's awesome. And I'm so excited for that. I'm excited too, because um, I actually went to, and I'm not talking about the questions yet, but I want to let you know, I went to UMBC. Okay. um, and they were the first 16 seed to get into the tournament to beat a one seed, uh, University of Virginia. So they got some fame off of that. So it's wonderful to hear that your friend got in. And that's 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 wonderful. So um, you're in Indiana. I'm in South Carolina where the weather is beautiful and it sounds like it's cold where you're at. So we're just going to we're, we're looking forward to spring. It's coming. Yeah, spring <laughs> is on the way. We're just going to go ahead and get right into the questions. So first of all, you know, there's a bio on your web page, but for the audience, tell us about yourself and how you got into this journey with APL. Wow, that is a that's a great question. I always love to answer this question. I used to teach um, higher edu- in higher education, and um, years ago, a couple decades ago, started a program based on a Lilly grant, uh, funded by a Lilly grant for exploratory studies. So for students who were coming to college and hadn't decided on a major. And what we learned in offering that course was that many students thought that their 
trajectory to a career would be um, very straightforward. And uh, my story is very different. I actually uh, started as a lawyer. So my first career, I was a litigator. And then about eight years into practice, uh, was approached to do some teaching at the local university and um, did that. And I like to tell the story that uh, if anyone thinks that teaching is an easy job, I will tell you that I uh, was second chair on a capital murder case two months uh, pregnant with my second child. And my first year of teaching was more difficult than that. I don't think I ever oh cried so goodness. much as that first year. But <laughs> we, have, we have the teaching in common. I was a high school social studies teacher for about four years. So we definitely have that in common. And also I'm a faculty member. So we ha we have some things in common that I'm, I want to hear more. Yeah. So it was, uh, uh, I taught that first year and kind of it was, it was hard work, um, way harder than I had expected, uh, but I loved it. And, and also um, felt a little, you know, unsure of my, my pedagogy at that point and my teaching skills, but decided to reserve judgment until the end of the year. And I then decided that this was really something I wanted to do. So I, I taught for several years and then um, took two positions at the same institution uh, as a Dean in the College of Arts and Sciences and in the uh, in the graduate school. So spent 16 years finally um, in higher education. And then six years ago, uh, really had a change of heart and decided that I wanted to uh, do something different, but something that would have a big impact on higher education. And so during my time as an administrator, I recognized while there was a lot of software to support things like enrollment management, retention, Certainly we were seeing uh, content systems, LMSs become ubiquitous. There really was nothing to support the work that academic teams had to do to deliver curriculum and deliver on their uh, institutional academic mission. And so I began to ponder what a system might look like that would support that academic team. And uh, we put some uh, focus groups together, we put some uh, deans and program chairs and accreditors and provosts and institutional designers and all the big players for sure. Yep. Yep. And we began to, uh, we began to imagine what a comprehensive academic operations platform would look like. And here we are six years later, and uh, we've got a very robust system and lots of schools deriving uh, benefit from, from the system. Well, that's a wonderful story. And I find it so interesting that you started out as a lawyer and you said being a teacher was harder than a lawyer, <laughs> which, you know, I can imagine in the days of COVID and pre-COVID that that's the case. Cause like I said, I was a high school teacher. So you are really, you really took the time to do the focus groups and find out what people, where the gaps were, what people needed and, you know, really breaking down these barriers that we have when it comes to the processes involved in the institution, I think, you know, we all get like in these silos when we, we work in higher education that we're just with our one institution or we're in our one department and we forget that everything at an institution kind of has to flow together. So that's really, you know, that's really awesome what you did with those focus groups and, you know, how, and before we get into what APL actually does, I want to talk about how do you, from your journey, personally define educational technology? So could you give the audience and myself a definition of how you see ed tech? Yeah, um, 
I didn't even know what ed tech was until I decided um, probably halfway through my tenure as an academic dean to attend ASU GSV's conference. So this was way back in the day when it was one of their first couple of conferences back in Phoenix and uh, went to the conference and learned about ed tech. Um, I think my definition is probably a little bit different than um, the definitions that I've been exposed to over the last um, decade and a half. I really think that um, education technology is something that uh, takes into account or should take into account uh, how it can foster uh, relationships. And so at its core, I really think that uh, education happens best when a faculty has the right tools to enhance uh, the teaching experience for both the student, uh, the learner, and, and the faculty themselves. Um, I think that uh, this idea that education technology or technology is going to replace uh, faculty and teachers, I think is, is sort of absurd. Uh, any of us think about uh, our own great faculty. Uh, they were the people who inspired, encouraged, modeled for us what it was to be a learner. And I think that thinking that we can do education without people, without people like that particularly, um, you know, is, is a little naive. Uh, we live in a time when content's free and ubiquitous. We can learn whatever we want, whenever we want. Uh, yeah, so we really need to take advantage of that. And right, but but we still need teachers, not? right? We still need people to come alongside and guide us in that journey and uh, inspire us. In some ways, I think we're moving back to a more original model of education, where you have this sort of master guide mentor who walks with you in your journey, your education journey throughout your life, throughout your career or your careers or professions. Um, you know, less this sort of picture that we may have today of this, you know, lecturer, uh, scholar, researcher who, you know, comes in and, and delivers, um, you know, 16 lectures to us. I think uh, we're moving back You're toward that, my that mentorship Oh my model. gosh. <laughs> I feel like you're definitely speaking my language here with the 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 traditional sense of the pedagogy and ed tech changes that and impacts that it makes it different um so yeah keep going sorry yeah no i, I mean i just think that uh technology can be used as a great resource to make sure that uh there's accessibility so that the the teacher and the learner the faculty and the student can be together uh, for that learning experience. I mean, certainly a lesson we've learned from the last year is that there are extraordinary circumstances and sometimes not so extraordinary circumstances that make it easier uh, and more accessible for students to access education through a, a, an online environment. Um, and I don't, I think that that's a great thing. Uh, that is technology being used as a complementary as a complement to teaching, um, as a as a resource for both that faculty and that learner to come together, uh, I don't think that education technology is going to replace that relationship. I think that relationship is really key. 
I, I agree with you as well. The human part of it isn't going to be replaced. Like I think about how, what people are comparing when they think that technology is going to replace the instructor or the faculty member. And they're thinking about things like the self checkout at the grocery store, how those are replacing people or these, these stores that you can go in and like Amazon and it knows what you're picking up, but the teacher, the computer cannot be the human, you know, <laughs> it's right. not possible that the instructor brings so much life and so much creativity to the experience and the process that the technology is there as a resource and a tool. And it's not going to the, replace the instructor because the instructor is the means by which it operates. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that, um, you know, again, this last year has shown us how valuable faculty are. They were, they were our, you know, frontline um, workers. Uh, you know, I often reflect as I'm reading so much about the fatigue that faculty have experienced over the last year, and it makes so much sense. I mean, they are contending with their own personal responses to what's going on, having to do their professional work, and that's true of most everyone in, in the last year. But what they had to do was go into a classroom and then absorb all the pain and all the challenges that their students were facing and do it in a way that um, they didn't necessarily have the skills or the acumen to do it with um, in an online environment. And so, right. yeah, uh, and we hopefully this causes us to refocus. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think that the, the lack of empathy not shown by the teachers, but the lack of empathy shown by some of the stakeholders involved in this process when we pivoted so quickly and the judgment that was placed upon educators was not fair because educators just get this, like they can do anything, like they're Superman, they're Superwoman, which is wonderful that people see educators in that light, but we need support too. We need help too. And sometimes educators don't ask for it. They just kind of, they, they suffer through in silence and they, they, because they want to help their students, they want to make sure that their students, okay, the students come first. Um, so what you're saying is really resonating with me about that pivot to COVID. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, if there's, you know, something good that comes out of this, hopefully it's that people recognize that we've got to, you know, engage and resource and support faculty. Um, they're the face of the institution. They are the, they are the service. In fact, the institution's offering. Right. Definitely. Um, you know, and, and we could probably talk about this for a while. So I do want to move on and I want to, I want to highlight some of the things that APL is doing. So when I ask this question, I really intend for the, the guests to give the audience like a picture. Um, what does your company do and how do you help institutions and organizations in, in education? You know, I've read your website, so I know what you do, but if the audience who's out there listening right now, what do you do and how do you help people in the education space? Well, thank you. Um, so first off, I would say that we really identified from our research and from my own experience and the experience of my colleagues that while there was a lot of software and automation and um, 
efficiencies built into processes on the other side of the institution, the non-academic side of the institution, that that really um, wasn't the way in which management of the academic side of an institution happened. It was much more, to your point earlier, uh, siloed. Uh, it was much more um, independent. Uh, there wasn't really uh, a centralized sort of operational approach or management approach. Uh, what APL does essentially is in one single place, create a platform for everyone on the academic team. And we, we define the academic team very broadly. We say everyone from the teaching assistant to the provost is part of the academic team. And think of all the people in between. Um, I liken it to you know maybe sending an astronaut to, to the moon or uh, the infrastructure that has to be in place to support faculty uh, is, is robust. Uh, so you have all kinds of compliance officers, you have all kinds of um, people managing uh, student activities and student affairs and, and enrollment. Um, and then you have the academic team that's really tasked with delivering the academic mission of the institution with um, ensuring that learning outcomes are being met, um, ensuring that they're hiring the right faculty and that they've got faculty that have the, the resources and the skills to help their students be uh, successful and satisfied. Uh, that part of the organization is responsible for training faculty, for promoting faculty, for evaluating faculty, for um, ensuring, again, that they've got all the resources they need to be successful. Uh, until APL, there really was not one centralized place to do this. And so we like to say that our mission is to come alongside academic teams to help them achieve their academic missions. And we do that through our vision, just stated in our vision statement, by delivering the best, most comprehensible, uh, comprehensive, uh, flexible, integrated, and affordable uh, academic operations platform. One where all of the team can come together in one place so that they can share ideas and information, so that they can connect and collaborate, so that they have easy access to information for greater transparency, so that redundancies in operations that occur because of siloed management processes um, are eradicated. And ultimately, um, on top of all of that, we save our customers a whole lot of money. So many of them are able to return significant um, in the millions of dollars uh, back to their academic operations budgets by, by uh, bringing everyone together in this one place. That's so good to hear. Um, you know, not just the part about the saving the money, but the part about bringing people together. I think that's so important right now, considering where we're at in the stages of COVID. I know people are getting vaccinated and we hope to be back in person soon, but streamlining some of these processes and bringing folks together that are the decision makers and the change makers is absolutely necessary. And this all trickles down to the student, you know, and what the student experience is like, people don't realize, I think at the top level, when they're making these decisions, the impact is on the end user. And that could be the faculty and that could be the student. 
That's right. So tell us a little bit more about um, what are some of your customers' favorite products or services that you offer and things that they really love about APL and, you know, kind of things when, you know, that word of mouth when people, what do people talk about? Well, the first thing they talk about is the comprehensiveness. And, you know, as we put our focus group together and as we built the platform, what we wanted to do was create this one centralized place. So there's a place for any individual user to log on and have their own sort of profile portal place where all of their professional information is stored related to their work at, at the institution. So it's the place where they see their teaching assignments and their eligibility for sabbatical, their course resources, their classroom assignments, uh, their course outcomes. It's the place where their compensation and contracting is done. It's the place where all of their professional development can be done. It's a place that gives them a visual of, uh, of what their current teaching assignments is, the courses they're qualified to teach. It's also a place where they can see information about what's happening at the institution. So uh, resources can be posted there, announcements, um, tasks, and other sorts of uh, tools in a navigation bar are available as well. The other thing that it does is provide for those institutional users who may have to collaborate on projects, particularly as we think about accreditation and compliance or strategy, uh, an ability to uh, create customized automated workflows to do things like staff faculty to a course and make sure their contracts go out to them, all done through the system in an automated and configurable fashion. Oh my God. Today, just, most I want to interrupt you. Real quick, Kathy, because sure. I know from being an adjunct instructor um, at in higher education, <laughs> getting a hold of my contract, it's like finding a needle in a haystack <laughs> and just finding that information, you centralizing that. So thank you. Thank you and <laughs> helping out the faculty find this information that they need. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, again, I, I'm not a futurist, but I do think that we're going to see a return to an understanding in a consolidating and competitive environment that faculty are really key to our institution's success because they're key to student success. And I really think that anything that we can do to make it easier for faculty to find things, easier for faculty to do the reporting they need to do, easier for faculty to uh, understand their students and understand uh, their course content and uh, reflect on it um, the better off the institution's going to be, the better off the faculty will be, and ultimately the better off the student will be. Are you ready to reimagine your admissions and enrollment marketing? Wherever you are in the admissions CRM selection process, Element 451 is here to help you. Now, why check them out? Well, Element 451 empowers admissions and enrollment teams to work more efficiently as they develop stronger, more personalized engagements with prospective students. Their cloud-based admissions, marketing, and enrollment CRM platform is powerful, yet easy to use. Complicated systems are exactly that, complicated. At its core are two of the most important ingredients for working smarter, automation and analytics. At Element 451, you get enrollment experts, marketers, engineers, data magicians, and thought leaders with decades of experience working in higher ed and ed tech 
to help you streamline your systems for more effective and greater yield. Visit them at element451.com. That's element451.com. Absolutely. And, you know, just finding, you know, exploring your site, you have a lot of support resources, you know, and you even have the adjunct there. You have the, the, the adjunct professors, the best, the best option, like talking about if adjunct, you know, yeah. lots of adjuncts yeah. are in the higher ed space. So you have a lot of different resources for the faculty member and also for the students, um, which is wonderful. You just, you give all that stuff away for free on, on your site. Um, and I was exploring some of it. And, I, you know, I think that you, you really do a great job of hitting all the areas. Like you have a lot of online learning resources for the student, for the faculty, bringing people together, the team stuff. Um, but I also, I'm curious about what type of data and information does your system provide to, you know, you're centralizing everything, but what kind of data can people pull out of this system? That's a great question. And again, getting back to our focus group and the experiences I had and the experiences of my colleagues, when we created a comprehensive system, it wasn't just to create um, comprehensive data views and reports. We wanted to make it a place that could be um, interactive, a place where uh, you know, collaboration could happen despite the fact that you might be across campus or in the world we lived in the last year, you know, maybe across town or across the nation even. Um, so it's this place where people can come together. Uh, if you think about uh, data and information, um, in some ways, I think, you know, the pendulum is swinging a little bit the other way. And, you know, I guess I've lived long enough to see that that happens. Everything was data, data, data. And I think data is incredibly important, just as technology is important. But I'm starting to see, and I'd be curious if you were as well, you know, shifts already where we're starting to look as much at the qualitative as we are at the quantitative. And yeah. so we really try to do both in the system. We try to have this sort of qualitative experience, but also quantitative. So to your point, uh, every bit of data in the system is tracked to a faculty profile. Uh, that faculty profile data then, whether it's related to the credentials or the experience or the staffings or the professional development, all of that data then is viewable as well uh, in real time as a part of uh, views that deans and program chairs can have uh, based on their user roles to see uh, an entire college's uh, faculty who are eligible for rank promotion or an entire department's um, number of professional development hours achieved. In addition to those views, uh, there are views that um, reports that aggregate all of the data generated into the system. So accreditation reports, uh, faculty rosters that are required by most of the regional accreditors uh, can be generated with a click of a button. So we're taking all of that data around faculty, around staffings, around professional development, and we're, we're aggregating it so that it becomes uh, a valuable uh, reporting tool for compliance and for planning. Uh, but most of all, I think what's really cool and special about the program and what we hear over and over again is the way that it's, it's interconnected. Um, we talk about integration um, 
usually when we're thinking about integrating between systems, and we do do that, we have full API integration uh, to any of the other enterprise systems that a school may be using, their LMS, their SIS, and so forth. But we also have integration of data and information right within the platform. And so this is the really valuable data that you miss when you're not using one centralized system. So we're able to look at, for example, uh, a faculty's uh, performance evaluation. And if there are gaps in that evaluation, uh, teaching uh, and learning uh, resources and courses can be shared uh, related to that uh, gap in competency right in the faculty members uh, evaluation report. Uh, we have uh, fully integrated staffing uh, functionality. So one of the huge requirements in higher education is that there be uh, a certification that the faculty either credentials or experience and or experience are qualified to teach a course. This data has to be reported to accreditors. Uh, we have a staffing reflow, uh, workflow that uh, is highly configurable, but that stays a staffing if a faculty member has not already been certified by the institution as qualified to teach. So we're pulling that data from the faculty's credential file and integrating it into uh, the staffing workflow so that uh, institutions can be assured they're not staffing faculty to courses when they have not been certified as qualified, which would be a, you know, an issue and a problem with their accreditor. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that is important to have that data. And I loved how you said in, in, in everything you said, and I, it was so much um, greatness that the, the qualitative and the quantitative data, they're, they're important together. Um, and that getting that feedback from whomever you're working with, the faculty or somebody in a different department, and just getting that verbal feedback or that feedback on an assessment and you provide that data right there. So it's on, it's on essentially on the dashboard so they can see it right away. It's That's not right. a secret, it's not hidden. You know, you go from right. one, like you said, you go from one, like there's something in say Tableau or there's something in the SIS or there's something, you know, you have to, you, it's really one of the things when I started a new position at an institution is I, I look for all the spots where this information is and like you're saying, it's in all these different spots and it's not necessarily centralized. So this system's not talking to that system and it's just crazy. Um, yeah, it's really challenging when you think yeah. about all the constraints we have on time. I mean, I think if there's a, you know, a, a, a commodity that, you know, all of us would like to have more of, it's time. And so when you can save time this way, but also make better decisions um, and, and, um, create connection uh, with software, you know, that's the ideal. Uh, we're, we're not looking at software to replace people. We're looking at software to be a tool, uh, a resource that, that makes uh, what we're doing easier and better. Yeah, that lovely word of streamline things. And that, that just means saving time, saving effort, so you can focus on other things like teaching the class, making a creative lesson or a creative assignment for your students. You can, you can go that route. So you've said a lot here, and I want to know specifically, how has COVID-19 impacted your company? Have you had to pivot anywhere? What places has it impacted anywhere specific? Just give us an idea of, you know, when COVID happened, what happened at APL? Yeah, so um, I would say that things got quiet for a little while. I mean, certainly as schools were 
in our buyers, typically the academic operators in the academic affairs office, so provost, VPAA, those sorts of folks. Um, I would say, you know, for the for the second quarter, part of the first quarter, second quarter, you know, those those teams were really focused on crisis management, right? How are we going to how are we going to educate students for the rest of the semester, and then what are we going to do for summer and fall? So things got a little bit quiet for us. Um, Post uh, summer in particular, we've seen a huge surge in interest. Um, what we built, interestingly enough, um, made a lot of sense to a lot of non-traditional providers or providers that were providing online education and had you know, hundreds of thousands of faculty. It was a very easy, it's been a very easy decision for institutions like that who, um, who understand that this sort of transparency and uh, ability to uh, engage and connect with faculty, uh, particularly adjuncts who may be teaching uh, at other institutions or more than likely have professional work outside of the teaching they're doing, um, makes a lot of sense um, from a mission standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint, um, having uh, integrated systems where you're purchasing one instead of four or five um, makes a lot of financial sense. And so we have had a lot of traction with those kinds of schools. I would say post COVID, um, you know, the, there, there's all kinds of uh, interesting publications and, and thoughts uh, being uh, made out there about how higher education is gonna change, uh, the traditional uh, higher education is going to change post COVID. and uh, in some ways, I think that change has already happened because we are seeing institutions really uh, concerned with the two things that we really think we do well and, and provide assistance with, and that is centralizing operations to build efficiency and transparency and cost savings, and then a focus on faculty. And uh, because we're doing those two things, um, we, we are a product that is, is, is really right for the market in this time. Absolutely. And I agree with you. And the institutions were essentially forced to make some of these changes. And I think some of the things that we talk about in everyday um, life of higher ed, you know, online education, ed tech, streamlining services, some of us had to talk till we were blue in the face to convince people that these things work and centralizing the information and bringing people together. But COVID, the positive, if you know, there's a few that come out of it is the fact that people see the value in these things now. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, when Kathy's talking about online <laughs> education, you know, and it works and we can give you some tools and tips and tricks. And we can also help you hire faculty that are experts in their field and also know how to use technology. Oh. This is interesting. It really does work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And certainly I think there's been an awakening at most institutions that things have to be done a little bit differently. And that doesn't mean they have to walk away from their missions or walk away from their um, their traditions. But it, I think it does mean that um, in order to make college affordable, make it accessible, um, ensure that students have great experiences and, and great opportunities to learn that some changes need to be made. Absolutely. And that leads me into my next question for you. What is next for APL? 
Um, you know, what's on your product roadmap? What are you thinking about doing in the future? Um, you know, give the audience an idea of what you're, you know, you say just predicting uh, what you're going to, what you're going to encounter in the future and, and how you're going to pivot to um, help users. Thank you. That's a great question. Um, I love to think about what's coming next and uh, certainly we're listening to our partners and, and building, continuing to build functionality that meets their needs. There's one, uh, two, two actually pilots that we're gonna be doing in 2021 that have me really, really excited because of the value that institutions are gonna be able to derive from uh, the kinds of things we're, we're testing in these pilots. The first is a pilot with a company called MZ and MZ tracks workforce data. Uh, they do all kinds of interesting work and have products to help students and uh, curriculum development teams think about future trends for creating programs to meet the needs of the, of the coming market um, as it relates to employment skills. Uh, they uh, do some really interesting work mapping uh, student learning objectives. So the silly thing that we do in higher education is we report to accreditors on student learning outcomes. Those words are very often different than the words that the market uses to talk yeah, about those very same that's skills. That's true, so we have to clarify that, yes. That's right. So one of the things that MZ does is they actually map uh, syllabi and course descriptions found in a catalog to, um, to skills uh, that the market might find. And so we're working with them to deliver to faculty, staff, to particular courses uh, at about 10 institutions, um, content related to skills and uh, workforce uh, that faculty can integrate into their syllabus, into their curriculum uh, as a part of teaching a particular course. And so for example, uh, there are three pieces of data that we would share with faculty as a part of the APL interface when they receive their teaching assignment, they have an area they can go to with uh, teaching resources or course resources. This often includes digital textbook or work, work uh, other sorts of, uh, uh, of uh, teaching materials, teaching resources. In that area, they're going to see uh, those terms mapped. So they're going to see those student learning outcomes mapped to job skills. They're also going to see profiles of alumni from that institution who are applying those skills in some sort of work context. And then the third bit of information that they're going to see is uh, what the job projections are for people with those kinds of skills. And we're really curious in this pilot to ask a question that I think I know the answer to, but we need data to show uh, whether or not uh, we're right. And that is whether when faculty talk about skills and uh, application of learning, whether it moves the needle in terms of student success and satisfaction and employer success and satisfaction in their hiring. Um, the question is going to be hard to answer. We're working with a partner uh, we expect to work with a partner called Strata Education, who does a lot of research in this area. Yes, definitely have heard of them. We are um, we're excited to um, see what the research shows, what the data shows us um, in the next couple of years. But intuitively, I feel like this is a way 
that faculty can begin to do what faculty already do really well, and that is provide opportunities for meta-learning where students reflect on uh, what they're learning and how they're going to apply it. And this is just another sort of arrow in the quiver or another resource for them as they have students uh, do that sort of reflection yeah. as, a part of, as a part of their pedagogy or andragogy. It sounds like you're going great places and you're going to be working with some great partners to inform what you're doing next. And I love it that you you don't stay in your own company. You go out and you reach out. You're like, well, what are you doing? Can you help us? And, and you're partnering with other people to make sure that the services you're offering to the institutions and organizations are top notch and they're helping everyone. So I, I love that. And in wrapping up things a bit, I have two final questions I want to ask you, Kathy. So okay. the first one is, what did we miss? Is there anything else that you'd like to share about yourself, about APL um, with our audience? And then the last question is kind of you being Notre Dame here. I want you to tell me, what does the future of educational technology look like to you? So what do we miss? And what does the future of ed tech look like? Okay. What did we miss? I would say, um, you know, if it didn't come come out in the conversation, we are a highly mission-minded company. Uh, I like to think of ourselves as a people company that sells software, not as a software company. I think one of the things that you would hear from all of our partners is that we come in more as true partners and consultants and ultimately friends and, and co-achievers in their mission. Uh, we really uh, come from a spirit of wanting to serve our partners. And so, you know, it's less about kind of getting in there and getting the software deal and, you know, moving out. It's more about building a relationship, uh, providing the software, and then providing the support, um, the thought leadership, the consultative um, resources and, and, and acumen that we can share as a part of an ongoing relationship with the school. So I, I, um, I think we're, uh, you know, we, we like to say we put the, we put the service in SAS. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, but I think it's more than that. I mean, I think we truly are, because we're mission-minded uh, as it relates to wanting to see the needle move in higher education for the benefit of students, as it relates to access and, and quality and, skills attainment that we are, um, you know, we're really partnering in a, in a true and full way. So I think, you know, that's, that's probably the, the one thing that I would reflect on um, in conclusion there. As it relates to uh, the future of ed tech, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts there. I mean, one is, I would say everything I'm looking at, uh, our local senator here just sponsored a new bill that is uh, part of the Higher Education Act that looks at, um, I think they call them innovation sites. Uh, they've been around for a while, uh, but they allow for the Department of Education to waive Title IV requirements at institutions that are trying new things. Um, the focus of this proposed legislation is really around providing some guidance in that to the department with an encouragement that they uh, reach out to institutions to try to get them to do uh, to do more to support uh, schools as they experiment and test ways to 
deliver education to students uh, in a way that's accessible and affordable and focused on the skills that the that the market is is needing. Um, so I think that what we're going to see is a lot of money being spent on how to optimize the online learning experience. It's interesting. I think you know the providers, the for-profit providers that really struggled uh, because of regulations and perhaps um, in some cases uh, regulations that were warranted uh, over the last two decades are really the models for what we need going forward in traditional uh, nonprofit education. Uh, there's remarkable uh, technology available for online delivery. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to teach online, Holly. I did years I've ago. I've taught and... online for 10 years. So I can't you know. It. Yes, I know. And I try to expose my students, my learners to as much of it as I possibly can. And you know what? I teach instructional design. So it's really relevant to what I do. So I have the, I have so much fun with my students, like introducing, they record their own podcast. So cool. I have to do what I do. They do a lot of different activities, but yes, I am, I am aware. And I am so glad that online is at center stage now. Um, yeah. it, it makes me like, I took a deep breath when that happened. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't think that I think because of all the stuff that came out and because of you know, again, there perhaps there was impropriety and so forth, but I think, you know, people have a little bit of a misconception about what can happen in an online teaching environment. And when I did it, I didn't even have a lot of technology resources, but what I found was the students had to engage in their learning in a way that was much more robust than they did in a lecture where they were passive recipients. And so we all as a country, I think the policymakers, the accreditors, the traditional institutions need to look at, you know, how we set the standards for online delivery and that we, you know, look at this as a, a viable and as a, as a real uh, good uh, way of delivering and, and making uh, education a little more affordable and accessible. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of money poured in the investment community poured and perhaps even in the in the government poured into uh, innovations that can help uh, make online education better. I hope we're going to see some more focus on, you know, the people. I hope, you know, it's not really ed tech, but I hope that um, I hope that we're going to see uh, a focus on, again, engaging, resourcing. Uh, supporting faculty because the technology is terrific, but um, at, you know, at the end of the day, technology doesn't doesn't inspire a student, doesn't move a student to completion. Uh, you know, great teaching and inviting somebody to learn and giving them uh, the tools they need to do that is, I think, what what ultimately results in in great learning and in skills attainment and and then uh, employment and and the other great uh, benefits and values that come with being an educated person. Absolutely. And we couldn't have ended that a better way. That was amazing what you just said. And I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to tell you, thank you so much for your time today and coming on the show and talking about APL and what you're doing and also sharing your experiences in education. I really love that people like yourself are coming on and just sharing 
what you know, your experiences in developing platforms that are helping learners, helping faculty, helping institutions do better. So Kathy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day. Yeah, thanks, Holly. It was my pleasure. It was great meeting you and all the best in your endeavors. Thank you. Take good. You've been listening to another episode of EdUp EdTech with your host, Holly Owens. You can follow Holly on LinkedIn. You can also visit her website at jollyholly.me to find out more about what she's up to. Please head to Apple or wherever you download your podcast content and leave us a rating, review, and please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. This has been another incredible episode of EdUp EdTech with your host, Holly Owens.